Welcome everyone to the Eastside Freedom Library. My name is Clarence White and I'm the Associate Director here at the library. And we're, we're glad you could join us this evening for the Kaleidoscope Project's Poetic Reflections on Solidarity. We are pleased to have a cast of readers with us tonight who have created works um, through a series of workshops uh, that I am sure are going to be timely and uh, relevant. Uh, the library is really pleased that this project was brought to us by Rebecca Nicholson about a, a year ago at the onset of the pandemic and uh, um, in the midst of the uprising, which didn't just visit us here in the Twin Cities, but spread around the world. Um, uh, since then, writers have been reflecting, sharing, and creating works that are really powerful. And uh, I think we are going to experience the same this evening. Um, we are pleased that this series has come to us. There will be several more throughout the course of the year. Um, but the themes of solidarity are really core to the reason behind the existence of the Eastside Freedom Library and something that we try and do and, and gather voices, uh, an array of voices to promote. Um, so uh, there are a lot of conversations that we have at the library. We invite you to check out our calendar uh, on our website to find out what's going on. Uh, but we especially invite you to continue to watch the Kaleidoscope Project as Rebecca leads many more writers through iterations of, of these convenings of solidarity. Um, and with that, I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca who will give you more of an explanation uh, of the nature of this project and, and what to expect. Uh, and thank you all for being here, Rebecca. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, um, Eastside Freedom Library, for giving me the opportunity to do this. And thank you to all of the writers. Um, welcome to the Kaleidoscope Project, Minnesota, Poetic Reflections on Solidarity. I'm so glad that you can be here. We have so much going on in our world, and I'm glad that you have taken the time out to spend with us. So this is great. Um, the Kaleidoscope Project was something that I developed because I wanted to bring writers together, BIPOC writers, writers from historically marginalized communities. I wanted to bring us together to share virtual space so that we could have deep conversations about empathy. How do we build solidarity between both of our communities? Um, the first iteration of the Kaleidoscope Project happened back in I think it was June of 2020. It was in the aftermath of George Floyd. Uh, we were, um, the Asian American community was experiencing a lot of xenophobia, which is still happening now, including assaults against the AAPI community. And so we decided to bring writers together, writers who identified as black, writers who identified as Asian together to share space and to talk about what solidarity between our communities looks like. So we tried that again, this time with different, uh, a different community of writers. We have writers on this call who are gonna be reading tonight who identify as African-American and we have a writer who identifies as indigenous. Um, and we had a lot of deep conversations about what solidarity between the black community and indigenous communities could look like, what it could feel like, what healing feels like. 
Um, and so out of all of those conversations um, came these beautiful pieces of writing. So that is what you're going to hear tonight. Um, and I hope that that brings you some peace, some joy, um, and some things to just reflect on. We are so grateful to have you here watching um, and we're honored to have you uh, as, as an audience. So with that being said, um, I am also going to read a poem um, tonight that was the result of the process that we all engaged in. Um, to give you an introduction to myself, I am Rebecca Nicholson. I'm a writer, I'm a singer, um, interdisciplinary artist, have done lots of things in the community. I am most inspired by art that is informed by principles of social justice um, and social change. And that's one of the reasons why this experience was so wonderful. So the poem that I'm going to read tonight is called Theory on Mortal Resilience and the Racial House. If I must exist in racialized form, I'll make my eyes and mouth windows, my skin an impenetrable steel fortress, my tongue velvet and my limbs doors. If I must live in racialized form, I'll make my insides a vivid spectral stronghold where racism cannot shame me and coexistence is possible. The truth of human heritage vanishes beneath the fabric of broad stripes and stars. A voice whispering, I cannot love you, engulfs our bodies, fails, contradicts as light in shadow. But oh, to return to the origin of things, born of no mother or father. When the earth was void and shapeless, a speck of dark questioning light, life and death. And so it began, the waters, the dry land, the soul of the hominid, the mind evolving, building its corridors. If I must live in racialized form, I'll saunter across the planet at twilight, each step landing on a continent, sea and desert. I'll stand on highlands, I'll catch actual shooting stars and make wishes. Hello, star, glimpse of light, I'll say. Hello, illumination falling from heaven. The heart is like unto glass, tumbling daily from its lofty station, but we rebuild. Our eyes carry rivers, the spirit is weary, but we persist because of you, light, not merely a star in the black, but somewhere in our mist increasing. You have planted yourself within us. You have beckoned our gardens. Hello, star. Hello, flicker in the dark. Hello, hope 
like a stone. Hello, dream awakened. Thank you for listening. I am going to now introduce some of the other writers that we have with us tonight. So our first writer is Anthony Sabalas. Anthony Sabalas received his BFA in creative writing from Hamlin University in St. Paul, Minnesota. In 2016, he was selected to be a Loft Literary Center mentor series mentee. His poetry has been featured in Yellow Medicine Review, Midway Journal, Sleet, Writers Resist, and upcoming, he has an upcoming piece um, in the Great River Review. He lives, breathes, and writes in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he can be found pinning staff recommendations at Birch Book Books and Native Arts. So without further ado, here's Anthony Sabalas. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Um, the piece I'm going to read is called Our Joy. A second black president, a third, fourth, and fifth, a first native president, second, then third, vice president, speaker of the house, speaker of all houses. Let's rewrite this America together, this country of history of harm, so easily forgotten by those who find it easy to forget. Let's turn the page, let's start a new book, united in our joy, rooted in a soil that never meant for us to stand black joy indigenous joy indigenous love black love together at the table where there's always enough to eat beautiful plates new silverware glass of water is always full tell me and I will listen. If you're running late, I will save you a seat. Keep the food warm in the oven, because that's how it works. We look out for each other, watch each other's back. When you are safe, I am safe. We are safe. Black peace, indigenous peace, our future, our success. Nobody without, nobody without, without no. Nobody, we are together, a new country, new land. We don't even have to call it America anymore. We are tomorrow, are tomorrow, are together, are today. Right. Thank you, Anthony, for sharing that. So our next reader, is Duaba Uninra. He is a survivor of the reconstruction process in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. He is an artist, a community organizer, and a scholar who looks at how forces of neoliberalism liberalism, took advantage of openings created by environmental disasters in Haiti and New Orleans to reinforce anti-Black, anti-poor, anti-woman, and anti-queer living and ways of being. Duaba engages in mutual aid and building counter sites as social tools for self-determination and healing in Black, Indigenous, Brown, and other communities, including institutions of higher education. 
So without further ado, here is Juaba Uninra. Thank you. It's called Odoo for Potluck People. Cayenne pepper, wild onion, pot liquor, green sugar cane, blue, blue crabs, red, red gravy, came and visited stone and water who divined with orumila. Cayenne pepper, wild onion, pot liquor, sugar cane that's green, green, crabs in soft blue armor, gravy redder than fresh bricks. They'll build a home inside you if you ain't got one, make you run away from home if you do. The burnt tips on grilled meat, Johnny cakes cooked in black bear fat, brown liquor made from sugar we grew, stolen from ships that bought and auctioned altered destinies. The smoke of hot pepper burnt in casted irons, the smoke of burnt herbs that let us talk to gods. Our motherland is in the bread that we break, in the way that we break the bread, in the way that we can lose our mothers and become them. But if we lose our mother's recipes, we lost forever till we start over. My great, 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 great uncle Jupiter lost his mother. Met my great, 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 great uncle Koyahuma at the, at the break in the cane where the land dropped off in the bayou. Jupiter got marched and dragged 1200 miles from an auction block in Virginia to Louisiana. Had lost more language than anyone could ever remember. Didn't speak a lick of French. Korahuma's family had lived on the land when it was still a forest of elder oaks draped in fine moss. Didn't speak a lick of English. I'm gonna tell you a story about my family, about black folks, black, black folks and oysters. Shh, don't tell nobody. But what my family told me was, it was summertime when they met, met at the break in the sugar cane where the land drop off in the bayou. Korahuma was sitting on a flat bottom boat floating on the murky water, digging knives into oysters. Heard Jupiter before seeing him. He was making the cane cry the way he was walking so hard, like shh, shh, shh. Jupiter ran head first through the break, fell face first in the water, psh, sank to the bottom. Jupiter could swim, but he had all this iron on him, iron collars around his neck, iron gag over his mouth, iron cuffs on his wrists. Dark water was in him, filling his belly and then his breath. Jupiter hadn't planned on drowning. He had planned on hiding till dusk. Wanted to return to the big house, return to the big house and squeeze the breath out the red man from Georgia, out the red-headed man from Georgia who stole him here. Jupiter thrashed in the water towards the surface, but his body was heavier than his heart. The green water out of the bayou was ready to serve him up. He could see a little line of blue crabs and crawfish queuing up on the bayou floor. They were waiting for him to pass, for the waters and gators to soften them up so they could move in and feast on his sweet meats. But this was not his path. From above, Jupiter felt the water surge and his course reversed. He was rising, felt the strong but quietly tiring presence beside him. His head broke through the threshold of the water. The air came rushing in too fast for the water in him to come out. He coughed, he choked, he passed out. Koihuma wasn't fresh. He could still hear movement in the cane. Koihuma covered up Jupiter with palmetto leaves and sacks of oysters. To seal the deal, he threw some trout he had fished up back to the water. The gators shot up from the bottom of the bayou to fight for the offering. 
The redheaded man from Georgia arrived to the break in the cane where the land dropped off in the bayou. Damn near fell in himself. He did some quick calculus, saw gators churning in the water, saw the blood, an empty oyster boat, and no Jupiter. So he decided to cut his losses there because that's what slave insurance was for. He just go back to New Orleans, buy a replacement. The redheaded man disappeared back into the cane. The gators split their share of the yard of the of the of the trout with the crabs and sank back to the bottom of the bayou. Koihuma paddled back towards home. A little shack on the bayou was where him and his family dwelled. Jupiter woke to the scent of wild onions sautéing in strong fat, that sweet, salty, thick aroma that makes the mouth water. Jupiter opened his eyes and saw Koihuma standing by the fire with an oyster in one hand, small knife with a blade as thin as grass in the other. Jupiter couldn't speak a lick of French. Koihuma couldn't, couldn't speak a lick of English, but they spoke food. Koihuma dug the knife into the oyster shell. The blade sank in. He twisted it. The shell popped open with his and he handed a half shell oyster to Jupiter. Chocolate, Koihuma said. Chocolate, Jupiter replied. Oui, un petit chocolate, Koihuma said, grinning. Jupiter slurped down the slimy oyster, drank the juice from the shell too. It put a lightness in his body that he hadn't known before. He stood, looked around, saw some little green okra in a sack nearby, pointed at him and said, gombo. Oh, c'est du gombo, Koihuma replied. And that was the day. My great old grand uncle Koihuma used to joke that he saved our lives with a bunch of fish and a sack of oysters. Chakla, oyster, nanihuma, redfish, trout, okra, gumbo. That was the day my great old uncle Jupiter turned a home of fishermen into an abolitionist. They caught more folks who walked off the earth into the bayou, more and more, until the red-headed man tore his hair from his own head. They fed the bayou with offerings of red fish, nanihuma, and they turned runaway Negroes into sacks of oysters, chakla, then back, back into freed souls. The land was happy. The land refused to hold people in bondage. The people grew wild and fierce on the land and the land was happy. The redheaded man went mad in his big, big house and it fell upon him. The people came back to the land. The Homa Ogla and the Sanga Ogla the red people and the crossroads people. There was time when they broke oyster shells together with each passing of the tides. There was a time when misery and injustice never fell upon them. The white people who stole land and people gave them wide, wide passage in the street. The people who desired freedom from the whip joined them for supper and stayed to do the dishes. That's solidarity. When we who desire freedom cook for one another, when we do one another's dishes, it's when circumstance blends our destinies like onion and garlic cooked in pig fat until shared struggle becomes a shared taste for the same desires, until shared resistance becomes raising one another's children. We can all lose our mothers and we can become them. But if we lose our recipes, we lose everything until we start over. This is the time. The world is turning over. I said the world is turning over, y'all. Our motherland is in the way that we eat together. So what are we gonna cook for each other while the passage of one world makes way for another? Thank you.
Thank you. That was beautiful. These pieces have been, ah, they're just, they're so nurturing for the soul. Okay. So our final writer for today or for tonight is Wilt Hodges. Wilt Hodges is a poet, an essayist, and a community reporter. He received his degree from Columbia University. He is a past Minnesota State Artist Grant recipient and a Givens Fellow, and he resides in St. Paul. Wilt. Good evening, family. Um, I have two short pieces I'd like to share with everyone tonight. Uh, the first one is titled, Afrofuturism for the Unelect. Dear instructor, when you asked me to imagine a world past racial trauma, I said to myself, now she must be playing. There aren't categories for that. No one's checking over my shoulder, ready to let the ruler fly on these nervous hands for mishandling such complicated stuff, such messy narratives. No, this is serious business, this dreaming stuff. So here we go. Dear instructor, when you asked me to imagine a place past this racial nightmare, I thought of colors, shadows, two things coeval. For the abundance of visions, my people have perished. So here I am, ruminating on color, because truth be told, it's the only weapon I have in my 400-year-old arsenal. And if I were to be honest, a 400-year-old albatross as well. To scurry past color is to invite American chaos. And that's what frightens me. Mud, blood, red, black, mulatto, mestizo, the whiplash bitten chain for a muzzled tongue. Well, dreaming has never been our problem. It's only erecting them. <clears throat> the second piece is called, but why are we in this living room? A family gathering down south. And this is the context. There is a photo passed over to me we are gathered in mirth and silence and wonder. Her mahogany hands passes over a black and white image. I immediately respond to the nose. It is not like mine, nor anyone else in this hush circle. The huddle waits until I register the difference. This woman's hair is long, black stallion straight. Adorning a face that is proud, private, mysterious, an old continent pressing against mine. But before I can gather language, my father's sister summons hers. Baby, this is your granny's mother. That's where you get your good hair from. Thank you all so much. So you've heard all of the pieces and I kind of want to take this moment to just kind of delve a little into how we came to these pieces. So the Kaleidoscope Project 
really started um, as being sort of a virtual space where we bring writers together. They're giving, given prompts that are related to social justice, social equity, or um, you know, current issues of injustice. That's what happened in the very first iteration. But this iteration was all about using principles of human-centered design to bring writers together to have sort of iterative conversations about social justice and equity. Um, the thing that makes this experience so unique is that these conversations took place through poetry. So we didn't have these conversations necessarily just verbally. We didn't talk about it through journalism or through news media. We literally had a poetic conversation about what trauma is, about what healing looks like and feels like between our communities. And the result of that process was all of these amazing pieces. Um, I wish that all of you could have been on those calls because the writing that came out of those experiences was just, I mean, it was phenomenal to see how much could come out of a writer, you know, in five minutes, you know, in a five minute exercise or a 10 minute exercise. Um, so that's really what the Kaleidoscope Project is about. It's about bringing writers of color, writers from marginalized community uh, together to share virtual space, to engage in poetic conversations about what intercommunity solidarity and empathy looks and feels like. Um, and I think another thing that's really important too is to think about how specifically for BIPOC folks, how we're not only on the receiving end of white supremacy, but white supremacy can live in our communities and become internalized. And when that happens, we harm each other, right? And we're seeing that happen. In, in the world right now, in this country right now. And so I think the more that we can recognize through lines between our experiences, not to sort of say we're all the same because we are not, but to recognize that there are relationships between the experiences that we have had in this country and that understanding those relationships, that is what solidarity is. That's what authentic solidarity is. So I just wanna give all of these great writers the opportunity to talk about just how this all felt. It was a very weird thing to ask writers to do. I had, there were very, you know, systematic um, prompts as for people who are familiar with human-centered design, it's a very iterative process. And I took human-centered design and applied it to, to a poetic sort of writing room. So, so what did this feel like? What did you get out of this experience? Um, yeah. And you know, you know my style. If I don't hear people rush to answer, I'm, I just, I just start picking people. <laughs> Do I? Um, I think. Well, one first, Rebecca. Thank you for for facilitating this whole process for us and for allowing this vision um, to come out of your head, out of your heart and to be an offering to us. Um, I think the work that you are doing is it, it, this is very, this is simple work that you, that is also very hard and you held it with, with a lot of grace and care. And I think this is work that's extremely important for 
our people and other folks who want to be in solidarity with us because while it's not complicated it does take being willing to be in space with one another and build trust mm -hmm. and so that's that's how i felt in the space um that you cultivated and i think that you know there's been there's been, been many junctures in history um when black and native people black and asian people have come together to resist um resist the common oppression and also to create the worlds that we desire um because we have a shared alignment and what we want the world to be or what we want the world to once again be and um i think it's necessary the work that you're doing or and that you had us participate in um to restore and regenerate those relationships mm -hmm. um because like you're saying um white uh i don't call it white supremacy but white uh white militarized violence and mm -hmm. white colonialist socialization creeps back into us because the systems that perpetuate it are still in place and so mm -hmm. we have to purge that out of ourselves by being in company with one another uh, we're like one another's antidote in a way and so you brought us together in the space for that to happen mm, thank you for that how about you anthony what was this this like for you? Um, I think Duaba said it really, really beautifully. I think it was a really wonderful opportunity to have those moments of connection and to realize those commonalities that we have in this country. Um, and it was just really, really a beautiful thing to be able to just engage in those conversations and have them in that poetic form through creative writing. I think that really just added a whole different kind of feel to it. Um, yeah, it was just really, really wonderful. Um, what else do I want to say? And then I think one thing that really did stick with me through this and that kind of led to the development of, of the piece I wrote was this idea that when we come from marginalized spaces, it's almost like the world, especially as we're making our art, uh, we're conditioned to write so much about our trauma. And we don't, at least I realize I don't as often write about that kind of joy. And then I just kept thinking about like what it would be like to write about and in there is mention of kind of the traumatic because that is such a huge part of it but also what would it be to just write about that joy and the connection that can happen from that kind of joy yeah, and looking I into the future i remember that moment okay so everyone there was a moment when i was sort of like okay we've come to the end of this process i want you to write about what joy looks and feels like, what healing looks and feels like between our communities. And I want you to really try not to, to write about anything that's, tr that's trauma. I want you to just focus on joy. And it's, it, it was a challenge, you know, it's a challenge to do that because, you know, as writers of color, as people of color in general, we often live in that space and we're often encouraged to engage with the world through trauma as if 
our only legacy of ourselves and our people, our new our peoples, is a is a legacy of pain, sorrow, and trauma. And that's part of you know that is part of our histories, but it's not all of our histories. We also have a we also have come from a legacy of joy. We come from a legacy of resilience. Um, and I think that 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 is just as important as thinking about the struggle. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, Will, how about you? What were you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to add to what's been so eloquently put on the table, um, you know, I love this recurring theme of, of joy um, as resilience. Um, I think that one of the things that really stood out to me in our sessions together was the sense of we were quietly pressing everything. There were all these questions that were coming up and trying to make it personal. And I think that I saw the writers in this space, you know, really raising a lot of profound questions and trying to really move past centering, as Duabo said, as Anthony has said, trying to move past like centering the oppressor you know, not being so consumed by the workings and the makings and machinations of what the man has done to us, but focusing on what, what we are and the legacies that we carry and the gifts that we can bring. And I think that um, there was a writing prompt that you, you had us write about. And I think one of the questions was, um, you know, in what ways, um, do we unintentionally harm each other because mm -hmm. we've internalized, we've carried stuff inside of us. Um, and I think I was really trying to wrestle with that even in, in the pieces that I shared tonight. Um, and so I, it, was a, it was a pleasure to really just sit in this space um, and in a safe space, right? And to write about these things, um, however it came out. So that was a privilege and, and, and it was a blessing. So thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, fellow writers for sharing space with me. I, I really enjoyed this journey. Yes, and I, and I enjoy all of you. I mean, and I'm glad that we were able to sort of give each other that energy. So with that being said, this is our second iteration of the Kaleidoscope Project. There will be numerous, um, numerous uh, cohorts of the Kaleidoscope Project. Each time we'll be bringing different writers from different communities together to engage in these poetic conversations around solidarity. If you're interested in participating um, and you identify as a writer and you're a person of color or you come from a marginalized community, feel free to reach out to us. Um, we would love to have you. Um, and thank you so much for watching. It's a hard time to give your energy to anything right now. So I appreciate the time all of you have taken to, to listen. And, um, and I appreciate all the work that these writers did. Give them a little round of applause. <laughs> all right, thank you. Have a good, beautiful night, everybody. <laughs>